Hello, and welcome to episode 12 of Podcast, the official podcast of Hofstra Athletics. Today, we are joined by former Major League Baseball pitcher and current Hofstra Baseball assistant coach, John Habian. Coach Habian spent 16 years in the professional baseball ranks, including stints with the Baltimore Orioles and New York Yankees, and was then a successful high school coach before coming to Hofstra in 2015. We are excited to have him with us today, and we thank you for listening. Go Pride! Hello and welcome to Podcast, the official podcast of Hofstra Athletics. We are now joined by Hofstra University assistant baseball coach John Habian, who is now in his second year with the Pride. Thanks for coming on today, Coach. Thanks, Lang. Good to be here. Coach, you grew up on Long Island, Bayshore, right? Yes. Uh, you, Brentwood. Brentwood, I'm sorry. Right, right next door. Um, can you talk about growing up on Long Island, how you got started playing baseball? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I actually got started late. I didn't get uh, start playing organized baseball until I was about fifth grade. Um, basically, this is back in the day when kids used to go outside and play in the street, play in the yard. Um, so we did that, and I guess uh, when I reached about fifth grade or so, uh, my dad got me enrolled in BYA, the Brentwood Youth Association, and I started playing baseball. Now, like you said, this was back yeah. in the day. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of um, – there was less leagues. There wasn't as many camps and clinics. Right. So, so who were your – you know, who got you started? Who got you playing? Who were your coaches and things like that? Well, my, my dad is the one that got me involved in baseball. Uh, he's the one that taught me how to pitch. Um, I was a big Tom Seaver fan. Um, so he would go out and play catch me. But a lot of it, we, we just learned out in the yard, out in the street, out in the playground. Um, we just, we always played every day. You know, that, back in the day again, where you can, you know, you go on the street and you see kids riding their bike with a baseball glove on the handlebar. Um, and we used to just do that every day, and you learn that uh, the hand-eye coordination and all that stuff. But uh, I got kind of gravitated towards pitching. Um, my dad didn't know a lot about it, so he just kind of got a book about pitching, and he let me build a mound in my backyard, and he would catch me, and uh, we went from there. What was that? What was that like building a mound in your backyard? How many it was pretty good. He, I asked him. I said, "Can you? Uh, can I build a mound in the backyard?" He's like, "Yeah, fine." Um, I don't think he knew that I, I built a mound. <laughs> and he's like, where'd you get all the dirt? And I said, from that hole over there. <laughs> so I, I just kind of just dug a big hole and built a mound and went from there. Now, obviously you caught on quite well to the game once you started playing organized ball. Right. Ended up at St. John the Baptist High School in, mm-hmm. in West Islip there, playing for the legendary Buddy Core. Right. Storied career at St. John's. You know, What do you remember most about playing at St. John's? Uh, St. John's is, is, was a great experience, probably one of the best experiences of my life. Uh, you know, uh, I still have a group of eight or nine guys from high school that we still keep in contact with, uh, guys that played baseball, guys that didn't. Um, obviously, we had a lot of success. We won, uh, you know, three championships in a row there. Uh, so we had some good teams, uh, but uh, mostly good friends, and then uh, Buddy was a, was a great guy to play for. Now, obviously, you had a great career you scouted by lots of colleges scouted by the pros so 82 you're coming up on your senior year mm-hmm. you gotta make that decision between uh going to college and then you get drafted by the orioles what was that decision process like yeah it's uh you know i was i was, I was heading to uh tcu um if i didn't sign um but obviously i got drafted in the third round and uh you know, I don't know how I came about to decide. You know, I look back on it now, I didn't have a whole lot of guidance. <laughs> you know, uh, back then you didn't have agents, you didn't have all, all this, you know, the, 
the preparation that kids have nowadays. It was it was 1982. It was the Wild West, you know, as far as recruiting and uh, and and the draft and all that stuff. But um, I just I decided to sign. Um, I really don't know what the uh, the overall decision was in that process, but I just I, I just wanted to go pro. I did. I didn't realize how big a chance I took until I got into pro ball, and I saw the sheer volume of pitchers and right-handed pitchers and players that are there. Um, so you know, in the end, it worked out well. Um, in retrospect, I knew it was quite a gamble when you sign out of high school. Now, obviously, you sign with Baltimore. You report to the minors. We've all seen Bull Durham and, and, you know, those baseball movies and TV shows and things. Really, what's life like in the minor leagues? Well, it's different than it is today. I mean, they for one thing, today they figured out how to make money in minor league ball. So the parks are nicer, uh, uniform, everything from uniforms to the way you're treated. Uh, back in the 80s, it, there was, we had a saying, there was nothing as minor as the minor leagues. Um, it was long bus rides. It was Bull Durham-esque. Um, you know, you didn't get treated great. You had, you had uniforms that didn't fit you. Uh, your sanitaries had holes in them. <laughs> you know, it was that was just back in the day. But uh, it, you know, some of my best friends from pro ball are from the guys I came up through the minors, not so much the major leagues, because um, those are the those are the guys that you have those long bus rides and, and that bonding, that chemistry. Um, but uh, you know, and I went through the whole process. I went rookie ball, A ball, double A. I didn't have a fast track, so I hit every level. Uh, I played in a lot of towns, and uh, a lot of a lot of good times, not so good times. You know, any any one good time that stands out the <clears throat> most? Oh, there's there's a few. I mean, it depends what category you want to <laughs> you want to talk about. I mean, you, you talk about the movie Bull Dorm, um, where they they uh, they put the sprinkles on so they can get a rain delay. Um, I remember one time we, uh, it was raining on a Saturday night. We didn't feel like playing Sunday, so we snuck back over the wall and pulled the tarp so we get it <laughs> rain out the next day. <laughs> yeah, the, the general manager wasn't too happy, but that, that's my one bull dorm story of uh, creating your own uh, rain out. It's a good thing our, our field is terrifying. Yeah. Too much, so. um, now you had a great deal of success in the minors. You mentioned not on the fast track, so you know forty-two and twenty-four in, in your first four seasons in the minors. Mm -hmm. Eighty-five, late in the season, you get that call up. You remember where you were when you got the call? You heard you were going to come up? Yeah, I had no idea. I was in instructional league. You know, we, uh, you know, usually they make the call ups uh, right after you finish your your minor league season. So uh, they made the September call ups. Um, I really uh, wasn't on there. This is, you know, I just finished my double A season, had a good year, um, so I went down to instructional league to work on uh, some pitches, and I was down in instructional league. And what happened at the major league levels is two guys went down, two two injuries, and at that point, um, the triple A guys who they called up were already there, but the guys they they that maybe they would have called up were shut down. So we were down in instructional league. Myself and Eric Bell were in shape and throwing. So they just went to us because we were already pitching. So it was uh, being in the right place at the right time. Totally unprepared because we're down in instructional league. All we had was shorts and T-shirts because we're in Florida. Um, they, they fly us to Milwaukee. So uh, the first thing we had to do was get our meal money and go shopping. And we had no sports coats and no major league attire. Um, and uh, it, was, it was good. It was good. Uh, you know, I think it was like a two, three-week call-up. You know, and I got my first, uh, uh, you know, major league uh, appearance. What do you remember about that? Um, yeah, it was my, my, my first appearance was uh, in Yankee Stadium. First hitter was uh, Dave Winfield. Um, Not too shabby. 
Yeah, ripped a double down the line. <laughs> My first out was Don Baylor. He popped up. So you remember all that stuff. But just going into Yankee Stadium was pretty cool and having your family and friends there. Oh, how excited were they? Yeah, it's good. Left a lot of people on the pass list. And, uh, you know, it was uh, right after Hurricane Gloria. So, uh, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was pretty uh, <clears throat> a lot going on that weekend. Now, you meant that your first major league appearance was at Yankee Stadium. Do you remember your first major league win? Oh, you know what? I don't know if I do. <laughs> okay, well, I'm glad I, I'm glad I looked that up. Yeah, Thanks, baseball reference. Uh, October third, nineteen eighty five, versus Boston. Okay, all right. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> right. Two innings pitched, an unearned run, okay. two hits, two strikeouts. Uh, was that Jackie Gutierrez? Was one of the strike? I think it was my first. I, now I remember my first major league strikeout was Jackie Gutierrez, but I don't remember my uh, my first. I really, really wasn't a stat rat type of guy. I don't. Remember my first win. I don't remember my first save. I have the baseballs down in my basement on display, but I just, you know, it's not like I, I look at them all the time. <laughs> so, um, after that, call, call up the next couple of years, you know, you were up and down. Right. What's that like? Is it frustrating once you get that first taste of big league, being in the bigs? Is it frustrating to, to go back and forth? Uh, initially, in the beginning, no. I mean, you're, you're 21 years old. That's when I got my first call up. So, and you know that's part of the process. Um, but once uh, you know you're 21, 22, 20, once you're you know your third year in AAA and you and you, you you go down to spring training and this is your year to make a club and you don't, that's that's disappointing. Um, when you know you're 23, 24, 25 years old, uh, it gets tough. It gets tough mentally. Uh, and then you just try to, you know, there's a big difference between AAA and the big leagues. And it, it, it took me a while to uh, to turn the corner. Um, before things started coming together for me. Just what's that like, the process between the club and the player? You, know, you, you go into spring training thinking, I want to make the club. Do they uh, tell you their expectations or what they have planned for you going in so you aren't as maybe shocked or disappointed by getting uh, sent down? Yeah, I mean, it depends what position you're in. I've been in all the positions where I've gotten to spring training where I knew I had no shot of making the club. I've gone into spring training where if I pitched well, I was going to get enough innings in spring training to make the club, you know. And then uh, I've been to spring training where I had a guaranteed contract and knew I didn't have to worry about it. And those were the best spring trainings. Uh, but it all depends what situation you're in. Uh, you're into. But I experienced all of them. Okay. So now in Baltimore, you played with two of the all-time great players in in the game, and Eddie Murray and Cal Ripken. What were those? What were they like? They're, they're all good guys. I mean, good teammates. Uh, you know, Kyle Ripken Jr., I was, I, got, I was really close to the Ripken family. Uh, Billy Ripken was my best friend in baseball. Um, you know, I was best man at his wedding. I'm godfather to all four of his kids. He's best man at my wedding, so we're still, we're still close. And just through that, I got, uh, got into a close relationship with Cal. Eddie was a great teammate. Um, I know he had got a reputation with the press of not being such a great guy, but that was to the press. As far as a teammate, he was a great teammate, good leader, um, <clears throat> all-around good guy. What about some other teammates that you played with? Anybody else that you you know consider great players that you loved playing with? Yeah, I mean, when I was with the Yankees, uh, I got the room next to Mattingly for three years. That was a treat. Um, you know, he had the corner locker, then it was an empty locker than me. Um, so just watching his preparation and, and having conversations with him over a three-year period was uh, that was a treat. Um, I got to play with some, some Hall of Famers. Uh, you know, I was in Kansas City for a short time, so I was there for George Brett's 
um, last game. Um, I was there for, when I was with California, I was there for 21-31 when Cal tied and broke Garrett's record. Um, in California, I got, uh, I mean, in St. Louis, I got to play with Ozzie Smith. Um, so I got to play with some, some Hall of Famers and some really good players and some managers. You know, when I first came up, uh, my first manager was Earl Weaver. You know, so it was a legendary guy, intimidating guy. Uh, so it was, you know, you, you go through it and you may, you, I played, you know, you, in 16 years, you, you come across a lot of different people. After the 88 season, come uh, during that winter, you had a, a real freak injury that almost ended your career. Yes. You, what, what happened? That, that was just uh, young stupidity at its best. Um, me and uh, Billy Ripken were living together in the off season. And by our apartment, there was a, uh, a hill where you could go sled riding. So we went out there um, kind of at dusk when the, the sun was setting. And we went down a hill. And I guess during the day, they had built a ramp to, to kind of have like a little jump. But I didn't see it. So I, I went up a ramp unprepared for the ramp and just kind of landed on my back and, and uh, separated my shoulder uh, two days before we were supposed to uh, start our off-season throwing program. Now that setback and you know I didn't do my research you know they said oh you know the Orioles thought you might even have to miss you know start the year at single a to try to rehab and but you worked your way back and ended up getting sent to triple a at the start of the season how'd that you know what was your rehab like in, in getting yourself back in shape yeah well we really didn't know what was going to happen it was a third degree separation that's not a pitching injury that's a that's like a the doctor told me it's a hockey injury you know it's a it's a it's a hard contusion bang type of injury so he wasn't really sure it wasn't like a rotator cuff or any type of normal throwing injury so he just he sewed me back up and uh you know that happened in february i think i started playing uh catch in the middle of spring training towards the end of spring training and uh i went to rehab i believe probably june sometime um to triple a uh you know, it's you know that to this day I don't know whether that was uh, by design, whether it's angry with me and they're going to put me in AAA <laughs> uh, for a rehab assignment. Uh, but it's, it's, I, I needed to learn how to pitch quickly because when I was coming off my rehab, my velocity was not where it was. I was probably 82, 83 miles an hour. You know, so um, basically to survive, I reinvented myself. So I went from four seam to two seam. I went from 12-6 curveball to slider. Shortened my delivery out of the stretch and just reinvented myself um, so I wouldn't get pummeled and could survive and it turned out to be what I needed turn the corner now after you know getting back in AAA and later that year in, in 89 during the 89 season you're uh, you get traded to the Yankees mm -hmm. describe the emotions you know was it something expected unexpected uh, unexpected was pitching well for Rochester, and you always think when you get drafted by a team, that's going to be the team you come up with. You never think you're going to be the one that gets traded. But I was traded in Columbus. We were playing the Yankee Triple A team at the time, so <clears throat> I found out uh, after the game, and basically I got traded for Stanley Jefferson. And it was funny. I, I had my bag, and he had his bag, and we actually after the game, the stadium was dark, and we cra crossed the field together, high fived one another, and both <laughs> wished each other good luck. And he went into my old locker room, and I went into his. <laughs> Oh, that was convenient. <laughs> uh, it happens. That happens rarely. I remember in the pro in the on the major league, Joe Youngblood. I think I traded from the Mets to the Expos in the same same kind of fashion while they were in Montreal. Yeah, it's strange. I mean, you, you, one day you know the team is there, so I was, you know, I actually played, and I think I might have played in the game. We're against them, and then you now I'm I'm playing against them the very next day.
And what was it now, as a New Yorker, were you a Yankee fan growing up? No, I was a Mets fan, Tom Seaver fan. So I uh, grew up a Mets fan, loved, you know, the Mets, Kuzman, Madelak, Seaver, you know, all those guys. So what was it like now being part of the Yankees? It was, it was good. I mean, it was really, it's probably less about being about the Yankees and just being with a new organization and a new start. Um, you know, I was part of the Yankee organization, but I was in Columbus. I knew my situation. I was a guy coming off an injury, and I had to get myself um, back on track. So that was really my initial thing. I didn't have illusions of grandeur. Um, I knew I was fighting for my career at that point, so I wasn't really thinking I'm with the Yankees now. It was it was more about getting my career uh, getting my career back on track. Now, coming up, you had really been primarily a starter. You had started most of your games in the minors, and even with the, you know a little split with the Orioles. With the Yankees is where you really transitioned from being a starter to coming out of the pen. What was that transition? Was that you know part of result of the injury, or was that just something that they had planned for you? No, it wasn't in the plan. It was just a, it was a result of, of uh, hitting a wall. I mean, I, I was star. I came off my surgery, and then they put me in the rotation. And then you know when you come off the surgery, you can you can go good for a while, and then fatigue will set in, and you just kind of hit a wall. And I hit a wall, and I had nothing on the ball, so um, they took me out of rotation. Um, I don't think it was much for protecting my arm. It was just I just wasn't pitching well. So they put me in the bullpen, which at the time, I'm like, this isn't good. I mean, not too many guys get called up from the bullpen in AAA. But um, it had another effect. It gave me time to rest. And actually, uh, during the course late in that season, my velocity jumped from uh, mid-'80s to uh, 89, 91, even got it to 94. So my velocity bounced back with that rest. And uh, and then I just I got called up and just hit, turned into another gear and made the, made the club the following year in spring training. Now how did you from transition from a starter to really how do you prepare differently mentally and, and physically? I loved it. Um, it. You know, it's the closest you can get as a pitcher. It's the closest you can get as a position player. You know, you have to come to the park ready to play. Um, so that fact alone, I took better care of myself. You know, as a starter, you can pitch, you can go golfing, you know, have a night where you just eat bad and, you know, whatever you want to do. As a reliever, you're, you're, you're an everyday player. you got to be ready to go. So uh, that transition was good. I was always a guy that could get loose in a hurry. Um, I didn't, you know, my arm, um, even though I had the surgery, I never really had arm problems. So uh, I just transitioned well. It was just kind of the, the glove fit and uh, – and I, li- I like the, the the chance of coming out there every day. Now, uh, Yankees, you were with the Yankees for for uh, four years, or the organization, say, four years. 90, 1993, they trade you to Kansas City, as mm-hmm. you said earlier. So that started a kind of a carousel where you jumped around a bunch of teams, right. Kansas City, uh, St. Louis, Anaheim, uh, Montreal, mm-hmm. and then Colorado right. before the humidor. Yeah, <laughs> right. What was that? What was, you know, you hear all the stories about pitching in Coors Field and how the yeah. altitude affects it. What was it like firsthand pitching in Coors Field? The, the biggest thing, um, listen, the ball, some, the ball can travel anywhere. It does travel in Colorado. Um, uh, the, the toughest thing with the pitcher with the thin air is your breaking ball doesn't break as well. So the thin air, your ball just kind of goes through it. There's nothing, it doesn't bite on anything. So... Your slider doesn't slide as well. Your curveball doesn't curve as well, because um, there's really no texture on the on the baseball. It just it feels like you're throwing a cue ball. Um, so 
I think that effect, you, know, you can you can live with balls flying out of the yard. I mean, Baltimore flies out of Baltimore. Yankee Stadium's got a short porch. The old Seattle dome flew out of there. You know, so there's parts where the ball flies out of. Um, but just with that thin air, you just you, you ball didn't do the same thing it did on like on East Coast with the humidity. No, I mean touchy probably, but do you, did you ever give up a? bomb in Colorado that you were like, oh my god, I can't believe how far that went? Actually, no, not really. No, um, I probably did. I just don't remember it. But I can, I can remember all the bombs that I've, that I've given up. Now, after 96, you're actually a free agent and you signed with the Mets. Mm-hmm. But then you decided to retire before the uh, 97 season. So what what played into that decision? Well, that was actually the spring of 97 with the Mets. Um I was, I was I had signed with them, went to major league camp, and uh, th- you know, listen, in, in, in guys in my situation, we don't retire. We get we get fired, and then we retire. <laughs> we call it fired, retired. So then, you know, I don't have the press conference, and uh, you know, I'm calling it a day. It's just kind of go off into the sunset. Uh, but basically, that was a situation where I had gone over 16 years and had never gotten released. Um, when I went to spring training with the Mets, that was the second time I had been released within like a six-month period. Uh, right there, that's telling you that, okay. Um, you know, then I could have stuck around and uh, went to AAA, hung around, and that's when the decision comes about after, you know, you're in your uh, mid-30s, do you want to uh, play five more years at AAA to try to get another six months or a year in the big leagues, just start being call-ups? I just I knew instinctively I didn't – have the stuff anymore to maintain a major league job over a long course of time. It's just it's, my stuff was diminished. I was honest with myself. Um, my daughter was just born March 10th of 97. Um, and we were just, me and my wife sat down and said, maybe it's just time to have an exit strategy here and uh, get going with our post-baseball life. Now you're looking back on your career, who were some of the toughest hitters that you uh, faced? Uh, probably the toughest was Ricky Henderson. Um, you know, I, the thing is, you know, I have to kind of, when you ask a question like that, you know, I can't, you know, do my toughest hitter when I was first coming up, when I was 20, 21, 22, or when I was 26, 27, when I, when I knew what I was doing. Uh, when I was 21, 22, 20, everybody was a tough hitter. I was terrible just trying to find my way in the big leagues. But when I had my act together, uh, Ricky Henderson was was – Really, really tough. He was a leadoff. One, he was a leadoff hitter with a really good eye, but he had pop, meaning you just couldn't throw a cookie in there because he, he'd take you deep. Um, he got a good zone, so did, you'd make a pitch that was maybe borderline, but you'd never get the borderline strike against him. So basically, to get him out, you had to get him swinging. Um, he just wasn't he wasn't going to get rung up with a backwards K. Uh, but he, he was he was incredibly difficult. Or better, Alomar Jr. was a tough out. Um, I always Willie Randolph was a guy that he was a nine pitch at bat, eight pitch at bat. Just I might have got him out, but man, he made me work. You played in there. I mean, you know, you're a little bit older than me, but not that much. And growing up, you know, the player like you said, George Brett and yeah. Wade Boggs and mm-hmm. Tony Gwynn. I mean, I don't know. Obviously, you weren't that much in the National League for all that long. So, but you know, guys like that, you know, those are the guys that I idolized growing up and when I played baseball. So you know. Just to hear, you know, you face those guys. I mean, you remember, you, know, you must have faced Boggs and, mm-hmm. and during those times. You know, guys like that with, you know, guy basically almost, you know, could hit 380 in his sleep. What, what's the approach of getting guys like that, you know? 
Uh, well, Boggs, I played against him, and then I was actually a teammate of his also. Um, you learn as you, as you go along, you know, uh, with Boggs. You know, you knew he was with, with – uh, he was going to take a strike um, with unless it was a guy in scoring position. Uh, it was really the only time he swing, so he'd give you a free strike early, and then from there, if he was going hot, you know, you just try to stay out of the middle of the plate and let him get himself out. Uh, but he just – he was a guy that just – he could hit all the pitches. He could hit breaking balls, change up. He was just – great hitter you know so it's just you know you stay to your strengths to a point uh, but you know you get to a point when 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 you've been around long enough whereas whereas facing Boggs isn't really they're not intimidating anymore when you first come up you you, you know that question is relevant uh, but when you when you've been around you've been knocked around um, you, you're not intimidated and you just you just go out there and and you think of these guys as someone you need to attack and get out you know and it, it takes a while to get to that point but when you do you know, it's just it's just kind of a burden that's lifted. And now, what about the other side? What are some of the who are some of the funniest or craziest teammates? I mean, you always hear you know stories on the road. Some of them aren't aren't probably suitable for this podcast. But you know, who are the craziest guys that you played with or played against? Uh, that's more, that's probably more minor league stuff. The crazy stuff happens in the minors. It's just you know you get slap happy down there after a ten hour bus ride and. You get treated so badly that you just have to laugh at things, and you know, uh, in the big leagues, everything's going pretty well. Um, you know, but uh, I think that's why me and Billy Ripken gravitated towards one another. He was he was a funny guy. I have a pretty good sense of humor. Um, I liked I, I roomed with position players my whole career. I just thought pitches were too crazy. That's all they want. They get in the room, all they want to do is talk about their mechanics. <laughs> you know, so I kind of like Billy. We'd we go in the room and really wouldn't talk baseball a whole lot. We were just kind of goof around um, but most of the guys are most of the funny guys and funny stories of, of, of people that you've, you've never heard of they never got to the big leagues um, and a lot again a lot of stories I couldn't share on this podcast <laughs> okay fair enough all right now you talked about you know having an exit strategy getting on to your post-baseball career yeah. you end up at back at St. John's teaching mm-hmm. coaching baseball you take over from your mentor Barty Corr right. so how how did what was the decision made to get into coaching and teaching? Uh, well, we came back to Long Island. And really, uh, we went off of my wife's career. I mean, uh, she was a great baseball wife. Uh, you know, when I was playing ball, she was uh, continuing her education. Um, she has two master's degrees in communications and banking and finance. So she was she was ready to go into the workforce. So I just kind of um, was ready to go in and be Mr. Mom, and uh, so. She did what she had to do, and then I, I had the kid. And then it kind of worked well where um, some of the stuff with baseball as far as doing lessons and camps and, and coaching, a lot of that stuff's done in the afternoons. Uh, lessons are at night, so it was, the daycare in the morning was good. I was able to do that and then kind of do the baseball stuff. Uh, coaching high school, you know, I came I came back to Long Island, and uh, Buddy Cole was still here. He, he asked me to, uh, you know, come down and help out, so I helped out that one spring. And then at the end of that spring, he says um, – I'm retiring at the end of this year where you just hold the fort down until somebody uh, comes along that wants to do it. I said, okay, and I ended up holding the fort down for about 16 years. <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't planning on that. Uh, but, it, you know, it was a good run. And then, uh, you know, I ended up during when I was uh, coaching high school, the principal we had a great relationship with, he told me, you know, and my wife were saying, you ought to go back to – not go back to school, go get your degree. So, uh, you know, I, I went and started college and from scratch and just slowly but surely got my, got my degree. I ended up teaching phys ed at St. John's for 
three, four years there, and then uh, and then this came about. No, before we get to to your coming after, you know, you said you know giving lessons and obviously mm-hmm. a lot of talent on Long Island over the years. Who are some of the some of the players that you work with that uh, you know you thought were were standout? Some of them might have went on to uh, to big things. Yeah, um, man, it's a lot of players, but you know we we had a good bunch of kids. Uh, I mean, early on, it was it was a it was a rebuild job. I mean, um, my first year of coaching, I only had thirteen kids try out for the team. It was just there were there were no cuts, you know. We bar- so I I took we barely had enough guys to have a JV team. So really, I was in I was in rebuild mode, um, and just to kind of be competitive. Um, and then over the course of time, you kind of build up the brand and the product and uh, started getting some good batch of kids. I think the first good batch I had was guys like Ryan McCarl, who went on to play at Florida State. Ronnie Bourne went to uh, Louisville. Had some guys go to Stony Brook. Um, you know, Sienna, I started developing Division One talent, Monmouth. Um, you know, some good players. Uh, you know, just and uh, you just slowly but surely uh, trudge on. And we went from, you know, not making cuts to a solid uh, – Varsity roster, solid JV, and we even started a freshman team. We had enough guys to compete at three levels. Um, so it was a uh, it was a it was a journey, and uh, you know we went from basically having a field that was a cow pasture. Now we have a turf infield. We have dugouts. We have outdoor batting cages. So it was, uh, it was 16 years of just putting together a program. Now, what about on the on the lesson side and the clinics? I mean, there's a lot of good pitchers on the island. Marcus Stroman, Stephen Mass. Do you ever have a chance to work with some of any of those guys? I didn't have Matt to Stroman. I didn't have Matt to Stroman. I can't take credit for any of that. But, you, you know, uh, most of the guys, you, those are the guys you hear about. But um, when you're doing lessons, you're, you're really just trying to uh, get a kid and uh, make him able to compete at the high school level. Everybody's like, uh, you know, trying to prepare for pole ball. And it's just, they don't understand just the competition, even even playing Division One. Uh, when I get a lesson, it's just okay. Where are you at? What high school you go to? Okay, let's let's just try to pitch well in whatever whatever uh, conference you're in or whatever whatever league you're in, uh, what summer league team you play, you know, and just try to make him go out there and and you know pitch shutout innings for his team. And I, I try to keep try to keep it simple, and don't give him you know again these illusions of grandeur where I'm gonna you know I'm gonna add six miles an hour. I'm gonna just try to teach him how to pitch. Okay. Now after that. 16 years at St. John's, really successful, you know, building that program up. What made you decide to to jump to the college ranks here at Hofstra? It was completely coincidence. Um, I had I was leaving St. John's already. It wasn't like this came about and I left. I was um, my daughter had just finished her fourth year at St. John the Baptist, and she was going on to Fairfield to play soccer. And I just at that point I was just like I just didn't know what I was going to do. I thought I was going to probably go back into pro ball. Um, you know, whether scouting or, or coaching, but I, I was prepared to leave St. John's and just start making some phone calls and see what came about. Um, you know, being an empty nester now, um, I didn't, you know, when you go back to Pro Bowl, you are a road dog, you know, so um, I, it puts me in a position where I could have done that. Um, this came about completely by surprise. You know, I had, I had already made the decision. No, nobody knew about it, but I, I had talked to the athletic, my friend who's the athletic director of St. John's, said this is going to be it. And then, uh, and then this uh, during during that time where I knew I was leaving, this came about, and I was like, um, they asked if if I would be interested. As a matter of fact, yeah, I would be. This is it caught me at a good time. Now, in your second year here, 
anything on the college level, coaching coaching wise, that surprised you that you weren't expecting? No, <laughs> coaching kids are coaching kids. You know, the coaching baseball. You know, they 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 need to. You know, it's all relative to the level you're at. You know, you got a high school kid. You you got to teach him the skills required to compete and have success at the high school level. It's the same thing here. You know, um, got to teach him the skills that that are required to compete and have success at the Division One level and in our conference. Hi, and welcome back to podcast with assistant baseball coach John Habian. Coach, now time for the Pride Five. Just five quick questions, not really hard hitting. So get right into it. Aside from baseball, what is your favorite sport? Football, NFL football. Any favorite team? Uh, Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> Giant fan here. So, okay. how about what is your favorite vacation spot? Anywhere in the Caribbean. I'm a warm weather guy. So blue water, uh, beach. Um, I'm pretty good with it. Nothing specific. What is your favorite restaurant? I am a uh, I'm a pizzeria guy that has the restaurant in the back. Um, I love those type of places. They got usually have good garlic bread and, and good home style type Italian food. Who is the catcher that you enjoyed pitching to the most? Oh man, um, funny guy, guy never got to the big leagues. I'm sure everybody knows Steve Sachs, the the second baseman for the Dodgers, played for the Yankees. He had a brother, Dave Sachs, that I played with in Columbus, uh, in AAA, and he was the single best catcher I've ever thrown to. He was he was called a great game, uh, great receiver. Never got to the big leagues, but he's just one of those guys that the, the whole staff loved throwing to him. What was the craziest game you were ever part of? Oh, man. Craziest? What do you mean by crazy? Could be you were down big, up big, big comeback, or, you know, 17 rain delays, ended at 4 o'clock in the morning, something like I've that. Part of those, I mean, I've, I've in Yankee State. I mean, I remember one time I had a, my um, a friend of mine was having a, a bachelor party on a Sunday uh, or Saturday. We had a day game and it was starting at eight o'clock at night, and we had a one o'clock game. I said, no problem, I'll be there. Um, so we had a one o'clock game. Didn't get done until eleven o'clock at night. It was just, it was a game we had to get in. It's probably a Sunday because it was the last day of the series and we weren't going to see him again, so they had to get the game in. But it wasn't crazy, but probably one of the longest baseball days I've ever had. All right, Coach, that's the Pride Five. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Pridecast. Thanks for joining us today on Pridecast, the official podcast of Hofstra Athletics. A special thank you to Coach Habian for being our guest today. Upcoming in Hofstra Athletics this week, Women's Golf is hosting St. Francis College of Brooklyn at Eisenhower Park on Thursday. Coach Habian's squad is in action against number 14, St. John's, this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Friday and Sunday's games will be in Queens, while Saturday's will be at Hofstra. The men and women's tennis programs will both play at Delaware on Saturday, while softball hosts Towson on Saturday and Sunday. The sixth-ranked men's lacrosse team opens CAA play at Fairfield Saturday night, while the women's lacrosse team is at Columbia Saturday night as well. Women's tennis plays at Towson on Sunday afternoon, and the men's golf team plays at the Coca-Cola Lehigh Valley Invitational uh, with first and second round action on Sunday. For more information on these games or any of Hofstra's 17 athletic programs, please visit GoHofstra.com. Thanks again for listening and Go Pride!